Well, hey, good morning. Good to see y'all. We have, of course, uh, 80 of our ladies who've been away this weekend for the women's retreat, and we want to pray for them as they uh, drive home. Uh, some of them are already back, and so want to be praying for them. Also want to pray this morning and remember to pray for Pastor Michael, who is preaching this morning, uh, probably right now in uh, Reynosa, Mexico, and he's going to be preaching this afternoon in McAllen, so we want to remember Pastor Michael this morning. So we're in week four of this series that we've entitled Until Everyone Knows, which is based on Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so we're in week four of this. And in this series, what we're trying to do is kind of we're looking both at the heart of God and the heart of the giver. And we have been stressing the necessity of aligning our hearts with the heart of God. In fact, we want to steer our lives by the heart of God. And so even though this is a stewardship campaign, guys, more than a a dollar amount Uh, more than a facility that we're trying to build. Honestly, what we want to do in our church family is if we can come out of these 28 days of prayer with our hearts aligned with the heart of God, man, that is a win. That's what we're longing for. We want to steer our lives in the direction of God's heart. And so will you join me in seeking the heart of God? Like, will you join me in this journey? Will you commit to evaluate each of these sermons, all the messages, evaluate your own heart, your own resources, and will you commit to give as God leads you to give? Not as Pastor Bobby leads you to give, but as God, uh, by His Spirit, is leading you through His Word uh, and what your part will be. Will you commit to that? Last week, we looked at Matthew 6. Uh, where Jesus told his followers, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Like Jesus taught that earthly treasures will always, always, always be lost. That's just the nature of earthly treasures. They will either leave us while we live or we will leave them when we die. That's just the way it works. It's physics, right? You can't take it with you. King Solomon said the same thing in Ecclesiastes 5.15 when he wrote, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they depart. They can take nothing with them that they can carry in their hands. It just doesn't work. You can't take it with you. Like Paul shared this exact same thing in 1 Timothy 6-7 when he said, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. You can't take it with you. There are no exceptions. However, there is an alternative that Jesus offers, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves Do not break in and steal. Do you want to keep your treasures safe? Move them out of reach of this world, of this economy, of just the decay that comes from being living in a fallen world. Jesus is saying you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You see, what is given away cannot be taken away. 
That is so absolutely important for us to remember. In fact, I think it's important because we need to stop apologizing for ever talking about giving. Like as a church, as pastors, as Christians, like we need to stop apologizing for talking about giving because if you, if you understand the principle that Jesus is teaching here, it's the giver who stands to benefit the most from their giving. Not me of your giving, but the one who gives is the one who benefits the most from what they give. And if that's true, and Jesus taught it, and it is, then we need to put our treasures where God's heart is. Like That's what we need to do with our treasures. And we know where His heart is. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's going to happen, and we get to be part of that. And so we need to understand that where our treasure is, there our heart is also, as Jesus taught. Remember, your treasure follows your heart. That's self-evident. We know that to be true. I mean, just look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card registry. Look at what you put your funds toward. You put your money toward what really is on your heart, what really matters to you. Who really matters to you? That's where you put your money. I mean, that's just the reality. Our treasure follows our heart. You may tell your wife, we don't have any money, we're tapped out. You may tell your kids, we can't afford it. But then, right before the big game, your TV breaks down and suddenly, by miracle of miracles, God has provided for you to buy a bigger television. Like, that's incredible. That's like a tell Jesus, you know, in the front of the church kind of moment. Tell everybody, look how God has blessed me. Like, that's a silly example, but the reality is we put our treasures toward, our money toward, our time and our talents toward the things that we love the things that are on our heart, but our heart also follows our treasure. Like that's what Jesus is saying here. Like if you've ever owned a significant amount of stock in any company, you know this to be true. Like you weren't interested in Dell, you weren't interested in Apple, you weren't interested in Amazon until you bought a bunch of stock and then you know what? You're turbo interested in that because your heart follows your treasure. Like you have the ability to direct your own heart. Therefore, you need to put your treasure where you want your heart to be. You can control your money instead of allowing your money to control you. Like That's what Jesus is teaching there in Matthew 6. Now, guys, as a church... We have a challenge before us that's really significant. I mentioned it last week. If you weren't here, like we're trying to and hoping for that God would provide $4.2 million to go toward the building of this building that is going to cost uh, somewhere between $5.7 and $6.7 million. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for. I mean, that's a huge amount of money. I don't think any of us won the lottery last night. I know I didn't. So, like, that's a big burden. In fact, I was talking with Pastor Michael about this just a few weeks ago because, you know, we let the cat out of the bag last week that the building's going to cost this much. We're trying to raise this much. But, like, we've known about that for weeks. 
Like when we first heard that number, just knowing where the economy is and knowing how prices have gone up on building, like that was a heavy weight. I was speaking with Pastor Michael about the weightiness of this series for this time in our church family, that it is a heavy burden. And yet, can I just tell you, with every sermon and with every day of prayer in our 28 days of prayer, I feel like the weight is being lifted off of my shoulders and is being shouldered by others within our church family who have taken up the call to seek the heart of God. And we know that whatever God provides us as a church, that's what we'll do. We'll act accordingly. I mean, the challenge, in fact, actually presents an opportunity for God to be the one to fight for us. For God to be the one who acts on our behalf as we seek His heart. In fact, when I first shared this with our staff, I I told them that I've been drawn to... uh, 1 Samuel 14, the story of Jonathan and his uh, armor bearer. If you're going through the men's or women's Bible study, you probably covered that story already. But you know, you have the story of Jonathan, the son of the king, and he goes with just his armor bearer and he looks over this hill at this garrison of Philistines and he's like, what do you think? Like, should we try to take them? Like, there's like 30 or 40 folks down there and it's just... Jonathan and the guy who carries his backpack. Of course you shouldn't go down there and try to fight these guys. Go get your dad. Go get the army. But this is Jonathan's response. He says, come, let's go over to the outpost of those pagans. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. You see, that that amount, that challenge before us, it seems so big, but God is bigger. And nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, from providing by many or by few. And so when it comes down to it, the challenge that we have is simply this. We just need to put His treasure where His heart is. Put His treasure. You need to understand, you don't have any money. That, that belongs to you. Everything you've been given has been given to you by God. Like I talked about last week in the illustration where what if I gave my grandson $101 bills to give away to anybody in need and he did it with a big smile on his face. He'd be so excited to do that. But he'd just be giving away his papa's money. But that's what we're always doing. We're always giving away our papa's money. We're always giving away our dad's money, our heavenly father's money. Simply put, everything we have belongs to God. That's such a key principle that you just need to own. Like you, you need to like memorize the memory verse in this sermon at the end. And here it is. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The earth, like the actual dirt, the land under your feet belongs to God and everything in it, right? All the fullness of this earth belongs to God. The world, meaning the cultivated parts of this world, belong to Him and all who live in it. God owns the property. God owns the buildings. 
God owns the mineral rights and God owns you. Why? For He founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. He made it and He owns it by right of being the Creator. Everything we have belongs to God. He's the Master over all because He is the Maker of all. Like this is His world. This is a repeated theme throughout Scripture. In Job 41, God says, Who has a claim against Me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to Me. Well, you owe the bank. I am the bank. Right? God owns it all. It's all His. He owns our world and He owns our wealth. Like in Psalm 50, you have the nation of Israel that are bringing their offerings to God and kind of get a little cocky about it, kind of bragging about it. That's the attitude of Israel in Psalm 50. They're like, man, God should really be pleased by what we're doing. Aren't we good? Like, look at what we're doing. Like, I'm doing God a big favor here. I'm really helping Him out. And God responds, every animal in the forest is mine. Now understand, this is written to an agrarian culture. Today, he might say, hey, Apple computers is mine. (laughs) Tesla, mine. Amazon, mine. Every corporation in the world belongs ultimately to me. Every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects and the field are mine. Even the smallest insect in that field belongs to me, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. I love that. Like if I had a need of any kind, if I were hungry, you would be the last person I'd talk to. Like I own everything. I have everything. I have no needs. God owns our world and God owns us. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. God owns our world and God owns you. Everything we have belongs to God. And so Christians, because this is a series for our church family, Christians, you get this, right? You acknowledge the logic of those statements. You The truth of that statement that everything we have belongs to God However, we still feel like a little bit of a tension, don't we? I mean, don't you feel it? Don't you think, well, you know, I mean, I know God did this and I believe that and I know God owns it all, but you know what? I did earn my own way. I did it with my abilities, with my intellect, with my connections. Like I'm the one, I mean, God, you're, you're the best. Thank you, Lord. But I'm the one who worked these long hours. I'm the one who took extra shifts, right? I'm the one who took chances. I rolled the dice. Like I got the education and the training that I needed to make this happen. I mean, praise the Lord, but you know what? I brought something to the table. So what about all your hard work? What about all the sacrifices you've made? What about all the bold risks that you have taken? Well, God addresses those too in Deuteronomy 18, speaking to the nation of Israel as they're about to finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, enter into the promised land. And so God gives them this final caution. When you have eaten 
and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. What would happen? And if they forgot the Lord their God, a generation later they would think, hey, look what we did, right? Look, we're the ones who God is here today. And so verse 17 of chapter 8, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength, and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. Look at what we've done. Like we took this land, we, we shed our own sweat and blood, we battled for these cities. I mean, it kind of sounds like the American dream, right? Like it's the self-made man or woman saying, I did this. Like I didn't take any handouts. I wasn't asking for a leg up. I made this happen. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So, God is saying, listen, uh, I know you think it was your ability, your talent, like your personality, but I'm the one who gave you all that. Like I just have this kind of personality where I'm just a, like a born salesman. I can sell anything to anyone, anywhere. That's just how I'm wired. That's my personality. Where did you get that personality? Well, I just have this kind of knack for putting things together and fixing things. It's just, I've always loved doing it and it's just, Like, that's just who I am. Who made you who you are? Like, God made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Like, you are fearfully and wonderfully who you are because God did it. I mean, think about it. Your intelligence, your abilities, your opportunities, all of your experiences were provided to you as a gift of God. The fact that you live here in the U.S., with all the freedoms that we enjoy and the ability to earn the income you, you do in the wealthiest country in the world where the, like America has the richest poor people in the world, right? People who live at a poverty level in the United States are richer than 98% of the rest of the world. Like that's insane. Like the reason we're able to do that is because God decided beforehand when the nation should rise and fall and He determined their boundaries. God did that. Everything we have belongs to God and everything we have, like even who we are, comes from God. God wired you, shaped you, formed you the way that you are. Like some of that you may not like. But God's the one who shaped you. He brought you through the experiences that you have. Like David recognized this in the context of a stewardship campaign as they were raising the funds to build the temple, David prays, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is Yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you. I love that the king is saying, Lord, yours is the kingdom. I'm just your stand in, right? I'm just a steward, but you are the true king. And then he asks this question, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as 
as this. Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Guys, David recognized, listen, everything we have comes from God and so we're always just giving away Papa's money. It's always God's money that we are giving away. Like God is the owner of all things. And if God's the owner, what does that make us? Like what's our role? Well, that's where the whole idea of stewardship comes in. Like we have been entrusted by God to put His treasure where His heart is. Like as stewards, that word means trustee or kind of an investment manager. We are to manage God's possessions according to God's priorities. Like a a steward manages like a fund or assets for the owner's benefit. And he should never have any sense of entitlement as if this money he's moving around and investing here or there in some way belongs to him. Like it's his job to find out what the owner wants done with the owner's stuff and then to carry out what the owner's will is. Like to seek the heart of the true owner. You see, God is the owner and you are the manager. Like in this scenario and in Scripture, that's who we are. We are the steward, the manager. And as a steward, as a manager, you have many tasks before you in your life. You may wear many hats, but you only have one responsibility. And here it is in 1 Corinthians 4.2. It says, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's it. At the end of your life, will you be found faithful? In the responsibilities God has placed in your hand, with the gifting that He's given you, the experiences He's taken you through, the resources and the relationships He's provided for you, will you be faithful? That word steward literally means house law or house rule. Like a steward was not the owner of the house, but for a time he got to be its ruler. He was entrusted by the owner to manage the affairs of the house. And like I said, he had lots of tasks. He wore a lot of hats, but he only had one responsibility to be found faithful. Jesus taught this in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Moms and dads, doesn't that sound like something you've tried to teach your kids? I mean, that's just practical parenting. And that's how God, our Father, is parenting us. He wants us to be found faithful with the little things so that He can entrust us with much. God is not trying to trip us up. God's not trying to tempt us. God is providing for us so that we could be rewarded by what He has provided. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Because God is the owner. You are simply the manager. As God's steward, you need to invest what He has given you according to His values. Like that's really the story of the parable of the talents, right? 
which is a parable all about stewardship from Matthew 25. You know the story. If you go to church, you've read the Bible. If you're a church person, you know that in this parable, a master leaves on a long journey. And before he leaves, he brings in three of his trustees, these servants, these stewards, and he gives them one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. A talent was a measure of money, gold or silver, that was the equivalent of about 20 years salary. And so if your salary is say $50,000 times 20 years, that's $1 million. And so he gave one of these servants a million dollars, he gave another one two million, and he gave a third one five million, and then he left on his long journey. And from the activity and from the what comes a little bit later in the parable, we see that the priority of the master was to receive a return on his investment. And so the first two stewards come forward and they have doubled the original amount of what had been entrusted to them. And they are super psyched to show it to their master. Like they are very excited about the return of the master so they can show him what they have done. It's sort of like being excited about taking a final exam, right? Have you ever been excited about taking a final exam? Like what would it what would it take to be excited about taking a final exam? Well, you'd be excited if you knew that you were absolutely ready. There have been a few tests that I've taken that I was super excited about because I knew I knew the answers. Like I was going to ace this final exam and so these guys come and they say, "Look, you gave me two talents. Here's the original two and here's two more." You gave me five talents. Look, I doubled it. Here's ten talents. They are so excited to present to their master what is their faithfulness. Are you excited? Like Christian, are you excited that one day you will stand before Jesus? Just the two of you before that great judgment seat of Christ and receive a reward for your faithfulness in this life. And here's the reward. Verse 21 He says this to both the guy who doubled five and the one who doubled two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Share your master's happiness. So it ends well for them, but for the final steward, it doesn't end that well. He takes that one talent he has and he buries it. He hides it. He doesn't do anything with it. Instead, he accuses the master. He is like a stockbroker misusing the the money of those who've been entrusted to him. He's like the Bernie Madoff of stewards. Like he does nothing with what he has been given because he's been living more as an owner than a steward. Are you living like an owner or are you living like a steward? In fact, as I talk about stewardship or stewards, if you're a nerd in here like myself, you probably immediately think of the steward of Gondor. Right? That that guy, that character from the Lord of the Rings trilogy who had been entrusted with the kingdom of Gondor while the king was absent. But the problem is that over the years and over the King not showing up this generation after this generation, the steward of Gondor began to think of himself more as the owner of the kingdom than the steward. And so he mismanaged it. Not realizing that the king was coming. Aragorn was on the way. The king was going to return. 
Are you living like an owner or a steward? Are you living like everything that God has entrusted to you? Everything that God has placed in your hand is some way for your own personal fulfillment. You see, God's the owner. You're just a money manager. And so you may say, hey, you know what? I am, I'm completely there with you, Bobby. I am a steward. I know it. Amen. Best sermon ever. You know, okay. If you know you're a steward, are you giving like you mean it? Like, are you investing the owner's resources like he would have you invest his resources? God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, Randy Alcorn writes, but to raise my standard of giving. So maybe instead of asking how much of our money, how much of my money should I give to God, we should start asking how much of God's money should I keep for myself? Because the truth is, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And since you only have one responsibility in this life, the most profound question you will ever ask yourself and answer is this, will I be found faithful? That's all that matters. Not what will Bobby think of me. (laughs) But will I be found faithful? To which you may respond, Bobby, okay, I get it. I'm just a steward, but what about me? What about my family? What about my needs? Can I just say those are great questions. Those are the kind of questions a steward should be asking. And Jesus answers those kind of stewardship questions once again in Matthew 6 when He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Like I love what Jesus says here because it makes me think those disciples gathered around him, those crowds, you know, listening to him in the Sermon on the Mount are just like me and you. I mean, Jesus, I believe this. I believe that you're bringing your kingdom, but like, I don't know where my next meal is coming from. Like, who's going to provide for me? Who's going to put clothes on the back of my children or provide them a place to live? What about that? And Jesus said, don't worry about that. Let me ask you a question. Is your biggest money problem that you don't have enough of it? Honestly, just between you and the Lord, is your biggest money problem that you don't have enough of it? For some, that may be the case. Can I just tell you, that's not my problem. My biggest money problem is me. My my biggest money problem is my own heart that wars and battles with this teaching because I like stuff and I like comfort. Right? And I get, to, I get a sense of security from the things that I have. But the response of Jesus, I believe, is don't worry about those things. Don't get consumed about those things. Set your eyes higher than just your feet, than just the house that you live in or the stuff that you're buying. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear for the pagans? Run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here Jesus offers as the cure for worry (laughs) that the Father knows and that the Father cares. 
Like, I don't have to be worried. Because honestly, I'm only worried about this much of what could potentially happen. Like, I have my eyes set on this much of what is before me. And there are so many things that could go wrong. Like, everything could go wrong. Like, I don't, there are things that could go wrong that I don't even, I can't even grasp. I can't even understand how badly things could go. I get consumed about this. If God opened my eyes to see how much I could had to really worry about, I would just want to die. And God, and Jesus says, Hey, don't worry about that. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Instead, know that your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need and He cares for you. And so take all of that energy all that attention that you give to your worry and steer instead direct your attention toward the kingdom of God, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's Jesus' way of saying, hey, let me worry about your stuff. You worry about my stuff. Okay? You give your attention, you give your concern to the kingdom of God and I can build you a little kingdom. I can, I can provide for you. You stop being obsessed with, focused over, like stressed out about this here and now. Give that to me. And instead, concern yourself with the things of the kingdom. Concern yourself with your one responsibility. Christian, will I be found faithful? I mean, honestly, what else matters? Like what matters more than that? Will I be found faithful? And so I just encourage you to work through the prayer guide, the Until Everyone Knows booklets. In fact, as we prepare our hearts and our families for next Sunday, like next Sunday, we will come and we will bring this little offering envelope that you have, and it will include your pledge that God has laid on your heart. God may lead you to give. He may lead you not to give. At this time, we want to know. Like we want to know, we want to be thankful for every person who worked through the process because it really is a process of prayer and God will provide for us and we will, like I said, build accordingly. But next week we'll come with this. So I would just ask that you would work through the commitment guide at the back of your books. It's about five or six pages and come prepared to make the pledge that God has led you to make. You can go to vision214.org and find out more about the building and all that kind of stuff. You can email me any questions at info at huddobible.com and I can answer all your questions for you. This is a, uh, a first fruits offering. Like we'll make the pledge on the 13th. We'll bring our offering on the 20th and we'll announce what God has provided in that combined service under the tent on our new property. Can I just tell you in closing what I'm asking of me? Just this is what I'm asking of me and it's in the book. Like what things can I decrease in my life? What things can I delay from getting? What ways can I do more than I was planning on doing? And what can I donate to the Lord? Like what can I sacrifice? Because here's the reality. Write this down, guys. You can't have it all. I mean, that's just the reality of life. You can't have it all. Like if a preacher tells you you can have it all, he's lying to you. If a preacher gets up here and says, if you just give everything you have 
Empty out your bank account and give it to the Lord's work. Give it to our church. Go back to your bank account and God will have already multiplied that tenfold. Leave that church. Turn off that channel. That's not the way it works. I mean, it really isn't. Sometimes God blesses people financially in a major way that like that and I've seen it happen. It's incredible. But when I write a check and give it to the church, my account goes down. That's just how it works. Okay, you can't have it all. Sometimes there's an opportunity, something that is so significant that it calls for us to sacrifice, to tighten our belt, to go without, to give. Because the thing we're giving to is more important. Like for example, we didn't go on a family vacation this summer. Not because of this stewardship campaign, but because of my daughter's wedding. Like my daughter got married in September and you know what? We always go on a family vacation. It's such a cool thing, especially now that the grandkids are added in. It's such a blast. But guess what? Emma took all my money. (laughs) And I joyfully gave it because that thing was so significant, so important. It was okay for going a vacation. When my kids were in college, when I had two kids in college at the same time, we took no family vacations. We took staycations, and they were terrible. Because <laughs> I just had to work around the house the whole time and then reward myself with a trip to Schlitterbahn. You know, that was it. But it was so worth it because I got to help my kids through college. Because you can't have it all. You cannot invest your treasures in this world and in the next. It just doesn't work. And so some of you, as you pray, God will give you an actual number. And then you'll run it by your spouse and they'll say, that's what I was thinking. That's really cool. Others of you, you'll just come to a realization that this thing that I was like living for, I was holding on to, that's kind of my hope that that house or that boat or that whatever, that's not my hope. Like my hope isn't that land. My hope is in Christ. And something has changed in my heart because some of y'all will experience this profound change in your desire. Maybe you owned something or you were saving for something. Man, I can't wait until I get that fill in the blank. Like I can name a bunch of things, but some people would just think I'm just being critical of boats or RVs or vacation spots. I'm not. Because God may lay it on your heart that that's not the priority for you at this moment. And He will take your desire away from that and increase your desire to give into the kingdom's work. Like whatever God does, I so encourage you, just pray. Just join me in seeking the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can give uh, because You first gave. Lord, we give, in fact, because You gave, not as in any way payback to You. Lord, this isn't a guilt offering. This isn't some kind of offering we make that in some way we would earn Your favor. Lord, we give because in Christ we have been given Your favor. Like even now, men and women in this room, boys and girls who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. They've been given the gift of eternal life. They've been given the gift of forgiveness of sins. 
they stand there clothed in the very righteousness of Christ with all sins forgiven. They stand there as sons and daughters of the King. As people who get to serve as stewards for a time because of the gift we have received. And so Lord, we thank You for that gift. We thank You for this table that is a tangible reminder of what You have given for us. Like we can touch it. We can feel it. We can taste it. And what You have given by the gift of Your Son. We thank You for that. In His name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As the band plays, I would encourage you to come down and get your elements for communion. Carry them back to your seat and then we'll take them together as a church. And we bow our heads and close our eyes just in the quietness of your heart. Why don't you take a moment and thank God for His indescribable gift. Thank Him that uh, in a hundred years from right now when the worries of this life for you have long passed, you will still be standing in His presence. Worshiping Him. Serving Him. Secure because of what Christ did in giving His life for us and giving us the gift of salvation. On the night that He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He broke it. And He said, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And in the same way, after the supper, He took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in My blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's worship together. You know, I have a confession to make that um, I've had a real struggle with these messages because the struggle is that I'm, I'm, I tend to worry that you're going to feel that people who come are going to feel in some way uh, manipulated by me. Uh, related to giving and money and all that kind of stuff. And throughout this series, and especially with today's sermon, what I feel like Jesus is reminding me is uh, I don't need to worry about things that are out of my control. Instead, I just need to be faithful. Faithful to the Word. Faithful to share it. Faithful regarding my own giving and my own life. I just need to be faithful. And the reality is like it would be unfaithful for me to manipulate you. And so I don't want to do that. I don't want, our elders don't want to do that. Our staff doesn't want to do that in any way. However, whether you feel that way or not is, that's beyond us. Cause I got to tell you, when God starts smashing idols, we feel bad about that. When He starts pulling on the things that we treasure, our heart comes with it and it tends to bother us. And so give yourself, church, to prayer over the next week and seek the heart of God and ask Him, what would you have me do? What would you have me bring as an offering to you? Just do that. 
and obey what He says. And we trust that God will be the one who ultimately wins the victory. Alright? Y'all have an awesome day. God bless you, church.